Special greetings to each of you tonight for our Wednesday Chapel. You are in for a special treat tonight. Um, we have Dave Clark with us, and I have just got the privilege of meeting him a few minutes ago. And so I'm just going to read a few things that Dr. Grimo has here um, about Dave Clark so that you know. His songwriting credits cross musical boundaries from contemporary Christian music to Southern gospel, including songs recorded by Larnell Harris, Sandy Patty, Steve Green, For Him, Al Denson, Point of Grace, Phillips Craig and Dean, Glenn Campbell, Gold City Quartet, and the Cathedrals. And Dave and his wife Cindy were married in 1982, and they live in Hendersonville, Tennessee, and they have two, I'm sure, beautiful daughters, Allison and Anna, and a son named Sam. And so we want to welcome Dave to be with us tonight. Can we give him a warm NBC welcome? I know we don't usually stand, but could we tonight stand and say our theme together? Here am I, Lord, send me. And let's pray that prayer in our hearts. And everyone said, Amen. We're going to turn the rest of the evening over to Dave Clark and Dr. Grimo. <coughs> Wasn't that good? Y'all like that? We stand as one. And uh, that was a, a song that uh, I was blessed to get to write for the Nazarene Centennial a few years ago. And uh, as a fourth generation Nazarene, you got to know it was, it was pretty humbling just to get to ask to be part of that. And uh, uh, she introduced me. She said some nice things about me. I'd, I'd rather be hit with a stick than to hear some of that stuff, but uh, that was very nice for her to say. One of the things she didn't say is that I am a student at Nazarene Bible College. And uh, yes, this is... Um, I enrolled, I always said I was going to go to college, and when I graduated high school many, many years ago, college wasn't an option financially or academically, and uh, just wasn't smart enough or rich enough, and I always told the Lord I would go. And a few years back, I uh, was teaching a class up in Estes Park, Colorado, and, and God said, it's time. And so I called and enrolled as a freshman. I had to call my high school and get my transcript, and I'm sure they had a good laugh over that. <laughs> and I'm sure when they read it here, they had a good laugh over that. Uh, but uh, God has been just doing some amazing things. And one of the things that I'm, I feel like I'm most blessed with in this journey is to uh, the way the Word of God has come alive in my heart over these past few years. All my life I have been in ministry, and even now I serve as uh, creative director and director of publishing for Lilinus, which is the music division of the Nazarene Publishing House. They let us work in Nashville, but our office is in Kansas City. And I got on a plane this morning at, at 4 o'clock. I left the house, and we got into Minneapolis to change planes. And they shut the airport down because of a snowstorm. And after four hours, they let us get on the plane, but weren't sure we were going to get to take off. Folks, I am just glad to be anywhere tonight. I, I'll tell you what. It, uh, it's been a great day, and, and uh, I just, I love coming out to Nazarene Bible College. They let me come out once a year, and, 
and I just finished a class with uh, Dr. Laurel Matson on how to be a missional church, and I learned more in that class. It was just awesome, and right now I'm in a class called Christian Preaching 2 with a professor, Joe Worthington. Is he, is he here tonight? I apologize in advance for what you, you have to hear tonight. Uh, but I, you know what? In fact, I have a, one of the things that we do online is we have to go and we have to video sermons in front of 12 adults. And so I looked and I thought, you know what? I'm going to be doing chapel at the school. I won't have to video it. And then I looked and the assignment was that I have to preach a funeral. So I'm going to spare you all tonight. I'm not going to do a funeral, I promise. Uh, but, but just know that God has just been doing some awesome things in my journey and in my life. And, and I'm not sure where he's leading me right now. But, but there's just some things I just want to share with you for a few minutes tonight. Uh, most of you, um, I, I walked through the airport today in Minneapolis and they said Elizabeth Taylor died. And, and that was on the news. And, and it was one of those, you immediately, you remember where you were when Elvis died. And, you know, those things that you just go, I'll remember where I was when I hear this later on. And in my father's generation, he remembers where he was when he heard about Pearl Harbor. And in my generation, I remember where I was when I heard that President Kennedy had been shot. And... Uh, and for my children's generation, they remember where they were on 9-11. And as we get closer to the 10-year anniversary of 9-11 this year, there's going to be a lot of people are going to share their stories of where they were. And there's something therapeutic in it for all of us that we, we get to tell our story of where we were at certain times in certain places. And I remember the first time I was on this campus. And, and you know, we remember those certain days. There's one day that, that you may not remember, and that was April 16, 2007. And one of the ladies in the choir, we were talking about it just before the service tonight. And it was a day that, it was a, a pretty moving day. It was, it was a day that there was a massacre on the campus of Virginia Tech. And some of you remember where you were, and there, it was a horrendous, horrendous, they, they, they called it a, a rampage and a massacre, and they used words that we had heard and heard. And, uh, and I remember that day, you know, sitting in front of the TV in my living room, and, and the reporters, they were looking for uh, new adjectives to describe what was going on, and they, it's like they couldn't think of any, and they resorted to the old ones like senseless and unimaginable, and uh, I watched still trembling roommates that, that they were, you know, had witnessed it, and, and parents who were having to learn how to mourn. But one of the reasons I remember that night so significantly for me was what was not only going on on television, but what was happening in my living room. She told you that we have three children. Yesterday was my wife and I's 29th anniversary, and, and we prayed for kids for many years. And, and we have our oldest is 16, we have a 12, and then Sam is nine years old. But Sam was about five then, I think. And, and what made it so significant was the contrast of what I was watching on television and what I was watching in my room. Because that night, just about like every other night in my house, we had a baseball game to play. And if you were to come and visit my house, just north of Nashville, we, we have a green, deep green carpet. And from the time Sam could talk or walk, he has called that his infield. And uh, if you were to, you know, all that really mattered to, to Sam that night was uh, one more trip around the base pass that he had lined out in our living room. In first base, was a, there's, a, there's a little rocking chair bookshelf that... Uh, 
that that's first base. And, and second base is a, as a leather sofa that also doubles as the center field fence. <laughs> and third base is just close enough to home plate that a five-year-old boy could make it in one jump. And we played baseball every night. And, we, and, and I was watching the two scenes unfold. And I remember thinking of the contrast and thinking that part of me just, just wanted to run for a little bit and take cover in Sam's world. Because to him, all that mattered was one more trip around the base pass. And every swing was a home run and every run was a game winner. He didn't count the strikes or the innings and, and every game ended with a celebration. And I remember watching that that night, and, um, and I don't know, honestly, I can't tell you if it was the, the innocence that I craved or, um, there was just, there was something happening in his world that I wanted to get away from the one on TV. And, and the reality is that, you know, for him, the world can change, but the game never did. Or, or does it? Because something happens to all of us somewhere, somewhere between Virginia Tech and my living room, and somewhere between second base and home, and somewhere between Sunday and Sunday, the realities of life start to creep into our world, and, and they start to rob us of, of all the what-ifs in our life. And Steve and I were talking about what-if right before the service tonight. And, and the reality starts to settle in, and maybe we realize that, boy, we're not hitting the ball as far as we thought we were. Maybe we don't run quite as fast as, as we thought we would run. And little by little, that confidence that we used to possess starts to deteriorate away. And i got to tell you tonight that uh, in the middle of all that, if we're living where we can listen, we hear God calling. And as hard as it is to comprehend, God's calling us. And Cindy and I talked about it before the service tonight. She was talking about, you know, not knowing where the road was going to lead. And somehow, sometimes you just think, God, are you sure you're calling me? And I mean, I, I struggle with all of that. God, are you you're, you're calling me to do what? You you, you want, you're going to use me where? I mean, I'm not even a good enough singer to sing in my choir at home. And you want me to make an eternal difference in the kingdom of God? Are you sure? Sometimes God calls, and He calls with it's just a whisper. My wife, my wife tells me that. God's really yelling at me, but I've lost so much hearing, I think he's whispering. <laughs> but then there are other times when God's call and God's voice is so obvious in our life that it's really like he is yelling. And I don't know if you're like me, but there are times when you, when you, you find yourself almost arguing with God. And if I'm really honest with myself, and I'm honest before God, it's not, it's those times that are the toughest to deal with. 
when you're living in the valley of the shadow of insecurity. And, and I look back at my life and there, there were so many times that I, that I fought with it. And the problem was, I always find myself comparing my abilities to someone else's abilities. Have you ever done that? I remember when I was a kid, um, Growing up in Michigan, I wanted my parents to take me to the Grand Ole Opry in Nashville. That, I wanted, and, and in Michigan, where I lived, I was a pretty good guitar player for a kid. I could play banjo, I could play mandolin. Whatever Dad brought home, I'd learn to play it. And was feeling pretty good about myself. I was 14 years old, and we took a trip to Nashville. We went to the Grand Ole Opry, and I'll never forget Lester Flatt brought out his, his new mandolin player that night. And it was a kid named Marty Stewart. Marty was the same age as me, and he started playing, and everything in me wanted to take my mandolin and throw it in the river. Because I was comparing my ability, and my self-esteem was based on what Marty Stewart was doing. I remember um, another time when, years later, I'm living in Nashville, and I'm writing, and God's blessing it, and, and I get a call one day at the studio, and they, at the office, and they say, Larnell Harris is in the studio, and he's looking for one more song. What you got that you can bring out? And I'll never forget, I, I fumbled through some demos, and I, I get out to the studio, and I walk in, and at the piano is sitting Larnell Harris, and right beside him is sitting a guy named Bill Gaither, who was also trying to get that last cut. And you know what the, the, the beautiful part of it is, is God didn't call me to be Bill Gaither. And he didn't call Bill Gaither to be me. And he didn't call me to be you. But yet in 1 Corinthians, we've, we've got this, this scripture that everybody knows and And he's called us to be the body of Christ. And he's got something for each and every one of us. And, and it's hard sometimes to know where that place is. It says the body is a unit. No, it's made up of many parts. And though all its parts are many, they form one body. And so it is with Christ. And you all know the passage. You know the scripture. And I'm not sure what road has led you to this service this evening. But there's not a doubt in my mind that God has called each of us to be a different part of the body of Christ. And you know, there's, there's a celebration in the middle of that that we can find. And if I were to put together a list of my top ten heroes of the insecure, I, somewhere in the middle of that would, would, um, would probably be a man named Gideon. You remember the story in, um, in Judges, I think, 6.15, God called Gideon, and he says, but, but sir, how can I deliver Israel? My, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh. The Lord said to him, but I will be with you, and you shall strike down the Midianites, all of them. And he, he, you know the story, he laid out a fleece, then he laid out another fleece, and, and he's, still, he's going through the same thing that we do. Are you sure, God? I'll tell you what, Lord, you call me, and next week, if you're still calling me, I'll... And then I'm going to lay out another fleece. Have you been there? And you know what happened? When they went in, it wasn't Eisenhower's battle strategy at its finest. He got a bunch of guys together and they went in and they scared them all. I love that God took the very thing that Gideon was fighting with and he used that as the weapon. 
I also love the story of Moses, and, and you remember that God called him to lead children of Israel out, and, and he's dealing with the same thing. Are you sure, God? I'm, I'm slow of tongue, and I'm weak, and, and you've got to know me. Even standing up here, I'm a songwriter. I'm not a preacher. And my teacher over there is going to tell me what I did wrong later, and I'm okay with that, because I'm here to get better. The more scriptures that you read, the more people you see that God is using who are unlikely people. Get a chance, go back and read the story of Esther again. And, and you know, I read it and read it, and near as I can figure, all she had to offer was a pretty face. And God used her to save a nation. I love that. And contrary to what we sometimes tell ourselves, we don't have to be perfect to do God's work. Boy, I'm not a shouter, but that gets me pretty excited. I, I don't have to be perfect because in my weakness, he's made perfect. He's, he's making me perfect. He's making me a place that he can use. When, um, you know what, this... Where am I headed tonight? I'm, I'm not here just trying to tell you a bunch of stories about insecure people. There, there's, a, there's a better ending than this. It's a story of obedience and a story of blessing. It's a story of, of just complete surrender, and, and I, I love that. And I want to just real quickly leave you with a couple of things tonight. First of all, there's, there's no age limit on who God can use. I have a good friend, a good mentor of mine. His name is Gary Henneke and lives in Nashville. And I can take you to the spot in Nashville where, where I was in the MPP program here. And Gary and I were in his car. We were going to lunch, and, and he was asking me how this is going. I said, you know, I'm never going to get a degree. I just want to learn this stuff. And he stopped the car. I said, at my age, I'm not going to get a degree. He stopped the car, he looked at me, and he said, I'm going to say this one time, don't ever let Satan use your age as a weapon. You know what? I changed. I changed my course of study to a major. I'm going to graduate next, next year from here, and it will be 36 years from the last time I got a diploma. And I don't know what God's doing. I went to my high school reunion this past year, and I walked in, and, and everybody there was talking about uh, their grandkids. They, they were talking about how close they were to retirement, and I didn't have the heart to tell them, I got a kid in third grade, I'm about to graduate college, I just got my first job, and I can't wait to see what God's going to do. <laughs> you know what? Don't let your age be the weapon that Satan uses. NBC is just an incredible example of that. I love every six weeks when the classes start, I get to read the bios of all the people I'm in class with. We've shared each other's hurts and sorrows and joys and journeys. One of the, one of the things we worry about is how old we are. My little boy, I've watched God use him. He's, he's nine years old and he's a champion for Christ. One of my favorite visuals of this last year was we have a retired minister at my church and, and, and Pastor Bob baptized my son when he was, when he was six years old and, 
and Pastor Bob was going to have surgery, and, and people gathered around right in the middle. It was my little boy's hand on his back praying for Pastor Bob. There's no age limit, young or old, on when God can use you, and I love that. The other thing is, just because you're willing doesn't mean God's going to ask you to do it. You know, when, when I was a kid, the biggest fear was that if we completely sold out to what God had for us, where was he going to send us? Anybody know? Africa. Africa. <laughs> well, now, doesn't that seem silly? That I was worried that God was going to send me to Africa. All he wanted to know was, was I willing to go? I look back on the years I spent in Nashville as a young songwriter, and I think I'd have gotten off easier if he'd have sent me to Africa. <laughs> but you know what? The call, the third thing I want to say tonight is that the call is specific for each of us, and it's unique. And if God went to all the trouble, the creator of the universe, Cindy and I were talking about tonight, the creator of the universe has something specific for each of us that's pretty exciting stuff. I don't want to miss out on my part. I don't want to miss out on what God has set aside for me. Sometimes we get so narrow-minded in, in our church terminology and our church verbiage that, that we start to think things like, uh, we think that maybe giving is only financial. Hear the preacher talk about giving, huh? Better get the checkbook out. He's going to ask us for money. Uh-uh. When God wants us to give, money's a part of it, but that's not the big picture. Another thing I think we get messed up sometimes is that talents are only arts-related. Some of the most talented people we, you know, I know you say, oh, they're very talented. Oh, what do they do? They play? They sing? No. No, God's using them. Some of the most talented people I know don't have anything to do with music or art. One of the other things I think we get confused about sometimes is that missions are only a faraway land. The class I just finished with, with Dr. Madsen, I mean, it changed my thinking entirely about becoming a sent people. He made a difference in this old man's life here. Do you know another thing I think we get mixed up sometimes in our church terminology is that the priestly role is only for the pastor. And I think if we limit it to that, we're missing out on what God's called each of us to do. Back in the, um, back in the 80s, I traveled for five years with a group called the Spear Family. Awesome people. They, they to this day, are, are like family to me. And you travel on a bus with people, you get to know what they're really like. Brock Spear, who passed away several years ago, um, Brock used to say something, even though I wasn't technically a teenager when I was with them, I was more than capable of acting like one. And Brock had a sentence that he used to say that, that whenever the, the other guitar player and I'd get a little out of hand, he'd say, don't ever forget, guys, you need the church a whole lot more than it's ever going to need you. And what he was saying was, we'd go into this church and we'd set up our equipment and, and that church could have had a hundred different musical guests in that Sunday. But they let the spears come. 
Brock was saying, hey, you need to respect that. You need to, and, and I love that way of thinking, and he lived his life that way. We were in the Iowa Nazarene camp meeting platform one night, and, and God was dealing with a young songwriter playing guitar. And that night they sang the old hymn, I'd rather have Jesus than men's applause, and I'd rather be faithful to his dear cause. And, and they were talking to a, a kid who was five nights a week in church, in ministry, but in a business where the only way we had to gauge our success was by men's applause. And I went that week and I resigned from a job that I loved. All right, God, what road have you got for me now? God began to call me to some things and I didn't understand them. And I was serving on the board at, at a church in Nashville and, and felt like, okay, God's blessing the writing. I'm right where he wants me to be. And I got a call from a pastor in town, and he said, I don't know anything about you, but God put your name on my heart. He said, we need somebody to come and lead worship. And, and I began to cry. I said, I've been waiting on you to call for six months. He said, we don't have any money. Our church has been through hurt. I said, I'm, I'm, I'm waiting on you to start. And I began to think about that line that Brock said that don't ever forget, you need the church more than the church needs you. And all of a sudden I had to come to grips with this time the church needs me. This time the church needs my gifts. And I went out to this little church and there were about 20 people in the choir and they'd had one choir book in the past five years and they each bought their own. God began to move on Wednesday nights, and that choir began to take that, and it began to spill over into Sunday. It wasn't long that we had 50 in the choir, and they were the most reckless worshipers I had ever seen. And I got to watch it from the best seat in the house. I didn't have the heart to tell them I'd written 30 musicals. I had never been to a choir practice. Because sometimes the church needs me. God began to move and, and, and things began to happen. And, and one thing after another, if I had time to share the timeline with you tonight, but one time after another, God said, hey, I've got something else for you. And every time he called me to something new, it was something I was totally unqualified for. It required more and it paid less. Have you found that to be true in ministry? Every road that I walked down, was one more reminder that God had a place for me and the church needed whatever my imperfect gifts were, that God needed those in the building of his kingdom and he was going to let me do it. And I come back to that passage tonight. Now I cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, and and the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weak are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it. So there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. I told you a little about Sam and his, his love for baseball. And Sam was 
four or five years old, he had one of those big old red oversized plastic bats. You've seen them. They're about this long. And Sam, at my age, when you play, play baseball in the living room, I just get to sit on the couch and I throw it. And I like that. <laughs> Sam would bring that bat and ball out and he'd, he'd say, let's play, and I'd throw it. He'd swing with all his might, and I remember one night he just missed it. He said, do it again. I picked up that big oversized ball, I threw it again. He missed it again. He said, do it again. But the third or fourth time it dawned on me that if he'd just hold that bat still, I bet I could hit it. <laughs> I said, Sam, this time don't swing. I hit that thing square in the middle and it bounced off that big old red plastic head of that bat. Went on the couch and he ran around the couch like he just won the World Series. I don't know what roads you're walking on tonight. I don't know what roads led you here. I don't know if your journey is anything like mine that you never would have seen this coming. And the only peace I can get in the middle of it is that I know my ways will never be his ways and his ways will not be mine. And I love the wonder that I get to live in. But I'm telling you tonight, I've seen enough people in ministry through the years that they're just holding the bat still. God's doing all the work and he's letting us run around the couch like we did it all on our own. And I came all this way today to tell you this one thing. That God needs you, and He 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 needs your imperfect gifts, and He needs your willing spirit, and He's got a road for you that you can't imagine. And I don't want to miss it. We're going to sing one more song tonight with the choir. It talks about this. Would you go ahead and start that track? Dear Heavenly Father, we have felt your presence tonight. I've felt your anointing in this room, Lord. Lord, I pray for the, the one who's here tonight who's struggling with what gifts do they have to bring to the kingdom. Lord, may tonight be for them. Lord, I pray that you'll just continue to pour out your blessings on this school. Lord, the difference that you're making in the lives of, of, of kingdom builders around the country and around the world, Lord, that, that those who live on campus have no idea about. Lord, I'm blessed to be counted as one. We ask this, this blessing, this service, all in your precious name. Amen.